Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes and Friends, the podcast where we talk about music inside and out with friends. My name's Noah, you might know me as Polyphonic. And I'm Corey, and you probably know me as Twelve Tone. And today we're joined by what I believe is the internet's favorite filmmaker. Do you want to introduce yourself? Ooh, that's a lot to live up to suddenly. I, I to, to, to be clear, I did not ask to be introduced that way. Um, I'm Patrick Willems. He had a whole rider for us to, to come onto the podcast. <laughs> I assume you're adding in my official intro music, just like underneath this. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get Brian to uh, mark, mock that up. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. yeah. welcome to the show. Um, I mean, this will be going out a little later, but you're joining us now shortly after the uh, premiere of Night of the Coconut. So yeah, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you, you caught me after um, I finally, like my voice has recovered after it was just like destroyed the week of the premiere from like not sleeping enough and talking too much at I, I doing like like you know promotional stuff on other podcasts and I'm feeling like yeah. a human being again and ready to <laughs> talk about stuff. Yeah, so uh what was it that you wanted to talk about with us today? You threw this out to me and we're just like pretty pretty open-ended here just like what's a topic uh involving music? And I gave this some thought uh to be clear I'm not a musicologist or a music theorist or music historian. Uh I these guys here are the music creators, but like I talk about movies, and so I'm like, it's gotta, it's gotta, gotta be movie related somehow. And a topic that I am endlessly fascinated by, I haven't yet done a video on, but maybe will at some point. But I'm just like, I, I, any opportunity to talk about this, I present it to you guys. Can we talk about movie tie-in pop songs? As in, like the like the big pop yeah. singles created. Or for a movie soundtrack that, like, will play in the end credits or play, you know, over a montage in the movie. And often, like, the music video would just be intercut with footage from the movie just so you could have that, like, I think this was very much, like, an 80s innovation of uh, yeah. Yeah. how can we have, like, this perfect corporate synergy of the movie studios and the yeah. record labels and they'll promote each other. And the 80s was when music videos really started to be a thing as well. Like that was that was MTV and everything. So it makes a lot of sense that you would start to see that around then. I think it's funny because I think it's modern incarnation started in the 80s. But I think you can actually kind of the lineage of it in my mind goes back to like Bing Crosby. Right. And like like the road <laughs> to movies and like kind of the big old Hollywood musicals where it's like. You know, it is a bit different because that was musicals. But at the time, like, you know, in the golden age of Hollywood, most of the biggest movie stars were also like music stars and were singers and had that whole thing going on. And it feels like they just kind of were like, yeah, that's great. Except what if the song had nothing to do with the movie and was just trying to latch <laughs> on to whatever pop sound is like the most popular and like most derivative yeah. at this exact moment? <laughs> Exactly. I definitely think like the origins of this like are in musicals because a lot of a lot of songs from musicals would just go on and become popular outside of 
of the movies and they would be like yeah. you know radio hits in the 40s and 50s and then of, of course like the musicals kind of like declined in popularity uh like at the tail end of the 60s and then the 70s kind of like a dead zone for musicals there were some examples like to be clear i did some research into this like a year ago and so i'm <laughs> i'm trying to remember back but like i think the first instances of just having like an original song that is made for a movie but is not actually like performed by a character that like it just plays in the movie yeah it's not in the movie i think oh my god it's some it's a western in in the 50s maybe i'm like i don't think it's high noon but this was a thing that like came along and and just sort of like grew and grew in in popularity and then with like the innovation of of mtv and just the you know the ultra capitalist 80s it like that is sort of like just this this amazing new innovation for how can we just like promote movies through music basically and then on tv at the same time perfect storm thing yeah noah you mentioned how you know with bing crosby and everything a lot of these were you know actors who were also well-known singers and i think that to me brings up because like when we talk about like tie-in singles to movies from the 80s and 90s you really can't talk about that without talking about will smith oh absolutely Absolutely. like yeah (laughs) He is sort of the iconic, and that, that's very similarly, like, he he was performing those. He was starring in the movies and then doing, you know, Wild Wild West, Men in Black, stuff like that, were just him doing additional songs. And, I mean, what I love about those ones, other than just, like, look, I, I feel like we're all of a similar age, and so yeah, we kind of sure. grew up with these, and... Uh, a little bit, yeah. I was, like, on the tail end of it, but... I owned big willie style on cd i went to a store and bought willennium and but i love with the will smith ones how specifically with men in black and wild wild west those songs are just the names of the movies this is not like you know uh like take my breath away from top gun this is just oh the song is the movie the star of the movie performs it it is like like he describes the plot of the movie yeah that's my favorite part is that That the lyrics are him describing what happens in the movie to prep for this i did listen to wild wild west uh and it it is literally just him describing the plot of wild wild west exactly (laughs) me and artemis from the start of this running the game james west Taming the West, now remember the name. By the way, Wild Wild West is one of my, has been one of my go-to karaoke songs for years. And so, yes, every word of it is just forever burned into my brain. Honestly, like, my final words on my deathbed might very well be the words to Wild Wild West. That's, (laughs) that that can be the epigraph on your tombstone. (laughs) You know, you you can do worse. Jim West, remember the name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Once upon a time in the West, Madman lost his damn mind in the West. That's it. That's how yeah. I want to be remembered. Yeah. <laughs> I live on the East Coast, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Will Smith, especially, is such a weird figure in, I mean, broadly in music, but like specifically yeah. because of this crossover where, like, I, I didn't do the research to know how well these songs charted but they were certainly in the zeitgeist. And like, I have actually never seen the movie Wild Wild West, but I know the song Wild Wild West pretty well and could sing along with it if Patrick broke it out at karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) I I really hope this happens at some point. Yeah, I mean, they were hits. Like, I remember listening to like Top 40 Radio in like 97 and 99, and they were on all the time. Like, 
Men in Black was just one of several hits on Big Willie style. Like, like it was. I don't know if it was quite as big as like getting jiggy with it or Miami, but like close. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where like it's it's hard to explain to people who weren't the right age at the right time. But Will Smith just like was a huge brand in yeah. like 90s culture. He was just like, he was working across these different art forms, but it didn't really matter what art form it was. It was like a movie, a song, whatever. It was Will Smith. And so it was all sort of connected through him. And so in the same way, again, like Bing Crosby, you had that as well, where it was like, this is Bing Crosby doing this thing and Bing Crosby doing this other thing. And it's like, this is Will Smith. He is Will Smith. He did Big Willie style. He did Willennium and he did Wild Wild West. And it was all sort of combined into the, Again, the cultural zeitgeist that was the existence of Will Smith as a person and as a brand. It was inescapable. It's like, you know, you, oh, absolutely. you know, you turn on the TV and you see an ad for his new movie, then you get in your car and turn on the radio and there's there's his new song promoting yeah, you that hear same a song movie. that's an ad for his yeah. new movie. Yeah. I mean, I just wish he had, he had kept it going for years. Like he yeah. for Men in Black 2, he did uh Nod Your Head parentheses Black Suits Coming, uh which was <laughs> not as big a hit. But I'm like, where was the I robot song where was the pursuit of happiness song like where was the i am legend song like come on (laughs) i want yeah i want the the seven pounds song oh my god rapping about a jellyfish (laughs) (laughs) the i mean i think it's interesting because there are kind of in this genre of songs the will smith ones are ones that are interesting because they are completely inextricable from the movies, which yeah. I think that makes them kind of the most successful of this genre, because there's a lot of songs that that were kind of like, you know, tie-in singles that just, you, you know, like My Heart Will Go On or like yeah. Kiss From A Rose. I will say, the thing with Kiss From A Rose is that song existed before Batman Forever. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I found that out yesterday. <laughs> Actually, I just realized... Kiss from a Rose is also one of my go-to karaoke songs. No wonder I picked uh-huh. this topic. This is I'm just obsessed with these with all of these. But yeah, Kiss from a Rose I think came out on on a Seals album like a yes. year or two before the movie. But then the important thing is they put it on the Batman Forever soundtrack and they made a new music video for it that was directed by yep. Joel Schumacher himself. <laughs> it is an incredible music video, by the way. If it if is. you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, like stop what you're doing now and watch it because it's just like completely Joel Schumacher shot with like Seal standing in front of the bat signal singing his heart out. It's just delightful. Just random clips from, yeah, no, I, like the first time I watched that music video, I didn't know that Kiss from a Rose was like an associated single with Batman Forever. But you you, you never forget it. Oh, that movie came out, I think, the year I was born, so... <laughs> You know, I, I had no associations with oh, it. Oh, God, I feel so old. <laughs> I'm for, that was 1989, right? No, 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 no. That was 95. Oh, well then, don't listen to me at all. I was born like, I was like five years old. Okay, then. okay. <laughs> That's very different. I thought suddenly you were revealing you were born in 95, and I was like, oh, no, God. I was, I was th- I'm thinking of a different Batman movie, but anyway. Okay, actually, Corey, uh, this is a perfect setup, yeah. because... <laughs> what you accidentally alluded to is one of the ultimate examples of this topic. 
because the first Batman movie came out in 1989 and the first Batman movie, it had two soundtracks. It had the, the album that was the score by Danny Elfman. And then the entire soundtrack of just songs inspired by the movie by Prince. By Prince. Yep. 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 The bad dance. (laughs) Okay. If any listeners of this have never heard the song bat dance, run, don't walk to a computer. Yeah, this this episode of the podcast will be here when you get back. Exactly, <laughs> because you have to see the music video for Bat Dance. And the thing about Bat Dance is it is not really a song. It is basically clips from, I think, five different songs, along with just audio clips of dialogue from the movie Batman, all spliced together into this, like, almost abstract audio art piece. And the key thing about this is that this song became a number one single in the U.S. <laughs> in 1989. It is one of the weirdest number one singles, I think, in pop music history. It's very representative of, and I guess Will Smith is kind of the extension of this when the studios, like, figured this stuff out, but it's representative of this really interesting time in music history where, like, everyone could see that hip-hop was going to be huge, but hip-hop itself was still, like, it was in the early 90s that, like, hip-hop as we understand it now really started to kind of come together. So the decade between, like, the late 70s and the early 90s, so, like, right in there, especially in the late 80s, there's all this weird stuff like the bat dance that it's, like, it's not hip-hop, but it's also kind of hip-hop-y with its, like, you know, yeah. sound collage, like, sampling stuff, and, like, it's clearly, like, trying to get at something that is in the zeitgeist there. And, I mean, it was a successful single, so apparently it did. It's such a weird thing, and I do think it's interesting that, kind of, Will Smith took this thing on and became kind of the the bastion of this, because I think there is something about that specific kind of, kind of, like, cheesy late 80s, early 90s hip-hop that just... I don't know why, but it works so well for movie tie-in songs. It does. It's it's interesting with Will Smith because it wasn't his first movie, but his first like the, like the movie that made him a movie star was Bad Boys, and yeah. he did Bad Boys when he was still on The Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and yeah. uh, which was like directly tied to his original hip hop persona because he was the Fresh Prince, and so it is interesting that. He didn't do a song or any music related to Bad Boys. He needed to have this clean break between that period, uh, between like the Fresh Prince period, and then like take several years off from music. And then after Independence Day, then finally he's like crowned as like one of the big movie stars. And he decided then to like relaunch the music career, drop the Fresh Prince name, and then just like directly link like, Will Smith movie star to now, like, the new era of Will Smith rapper. It really is a shame that came after Independence Day, because Welcome to Earth would be such a good name for, like, a credit song rap. I know! (laughs) Huge missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It is, I mean, again, this conversation keeps drifting back to, you just wanted to talk about Will Smith, didn't you, Patrick? I kind of did. Like, guys, I, I was thinking now I'd be, like, a good opportunity. I, I've sat on it for several months. I'm finally going to publicly give my take on the slap. 
<laughs> I'm kidding. I'm t- kidding. I'm I'm totally kidding. I'm we're not gonna talk about it because I uh, no one gives a shit what any of us think about it. No, I, they they shouldn't anyway. Not really since like the golden age of Hollywood has there been anyone like Will Smith who has been able to have that crossover success, and I think that's why a lot of the kind of post Will Smith attempts at these tie-ins and a lot of these tie-ins with kind of bands just don't quite work as well or like like I mean it still happens sometimes like Justin Timberlake had the troll song can't stop the feeling <laughs> which is like a fine pop song yeah. but again trolls was a musical wasn't it yeah maybe I don't know I'm pretty sure it's all like a jukebox musical like that was the yeah. one original song I mean, yeah, yeah. It's also funny because, but, but like, that is a song, like, that was like a, a big pop hit I have witnessed at so many weddings, like, yeah. that few songs get people up dancing in, like, this era, like, Can't Stop the Feeling, but if you ask a random person what movie is that from, especially, like, an adult, they probably won't know it's Trolls. Yeah. Like, it's just a Justin yeah. Timberlake song. That's the same with, like, Happy by Pharrell, which is... Right. It's from Despicable Me. Yeah. I think it was Despicable <laughs> Me 2, right? Oh, my God. Like, I don't Maybe. even think it was the original. That song is directly tied to the Minions. Yeah. But no, all of these are, yep. like... And these are successful, but all of these are essentially just kind of, like, taking... Especially something like Happy and Can't Stop the Feeling. Like, just taking songs that are pop songs performed by great pop artists, written by great pop songwriters, and sticking them at the end of a movie, they don't actually have that much to do, like, even thematically, really, with the movie, other than, like, Can't Stop the Feeling is about, you know, it's a good feeling, and the movie ends happy, I imagine. I, 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 I shamefully have to admit that I've never watched any of the movies in the Trolls franchise. It's okay. You're not alone. And you call yourself a music <laughs> journalist. Uh, hey, I'm the the film essayist person here, and I <laughs> I must confess, I have not seen Trolls. No. Or Trolls World Tour. <laughs> I didn't even know Trolls World Tour was the name of another Trolls yeah. movie. Oh, oh uh, Trolls World Tour was, it came out really early on in the pandemic, and it was the first movie to go straight to, like, Universal just decided we're we're skipping theaters because it's all shut down. We're making this immediately available to like to rent on on iTunes. And it made a ton of money because everyone was in quarantine and parents were like, we need something to to, to, put on for the kids. Yeah. On the topic of Trolls World Tour, this is completely unrelated to tie-in singles, but I will probably never have a chance to complain about this again. So I did see a preview for Trolls World Tour at some other movie that I was watching. Uh Uh-huh. And the premise seemed to be like these six guitar strings of power. But like most of the styles that they were basing it on that controlled the six strings were not guitar based styles. (laughs) So just want to register that complaint, throw that out into the universe. We can move on now. (laughs) But what if we all did like a three way collab about this exact topic and made like a two hour long (laughs) video essay about it? That sounds amazing. (laughs) All right. I'll, I'll have my people call your yeah, people. Excellent, excellent. Corey, what I thought you were going to bring up, tangentially connected to Trolls, is a funny example of a hit 
movie tie-in pop song from the past. I think I, actually this was like ten years ago. Um, uh, ah. Because uh, okay, then you're not talking about what I thought you were. Okay, we'll get to that. So because the co- uh, Justin Timberlake's co-star in the Trolls movies is Anna Kendrick, who is the star of the Pitch Perfect movies, and the yep. first Pitch yep. Perfect had the Cups song. It, that's in yes. the movie. They made like a pop version of it, which then became a hit. I was in probably like second or third year university when that came out. And I heard that song a lot. That was a big, big hit where I was. Yeah. That's a funny example of it because that is, it's not just that like the song is in the movie. That song plays like a narrative role in that movie. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like an obvious candidate to be like, a big pop song. And so I'm, I'm like, I've always been kind of amazed that that became as successful as it did. I mean, the other interesting thing about th- this is where I aggressively hijack this to talk about American folk music, because that's my favorite <laughs> topic. But the cup song you got a brand, got to stay on it, like is an adaptation of an Appalachian folk song that was recorded right. by the Carter family who are like, you know, like the artists that created country music and arguably like kind of they can be pointed to as the birth of almost all like modern music like the Carter family are important in a way that like Robert Johnson or someone like that is and yeah that's that's why I I think that's interesting because that's why I think something about why that song caught on is there is something about it that feels like a folk song and feels kind of timeless which is very interesting because i would say that like you know an appalachian folk song performed by the carter family is the polar opposite of a hollywood <laughs> like you know musical tie-in if such things can have polar opposites that is the exact opposite on music like a folk song that's been yeah. handed down for a century turning into like the biggest top 40 like movie tie-in thing yeah very bizarre it's true but that was also because i think that was 2012 that was right around the time that the sort of like uh new as an nu like folk thing was happening in oh yeah the the indie folk thing oh yeah mumford and sons were topping the charts exactly yep no i i was in music college at that time so yes i remember do you know how many people at parties broke out acoustic guitars and played ho hey it was a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) oh my god wow yeah i was in college a little bit before that look i mean there's gonna be annoying songs coming up at parties like no no matter when when you're going to school but yeah yeah that that all checks out so speaking of new something tie-ins this is a story this is a pretty obscure one uh, that i'm very very fond of so So the original one is not obscure at all. The original one, I would argue, is probably the best movie tie-in song ever. And that is, of course, Stan Bush's The Touch from Transformers the Movie. (laughs) Not where I thought you were going. (laughs) But, so, Transformers, the, like, 1980s animated movie, uh, has this power ballad by Stan Bush called The Touch, which it's a phenomenal song, just absolute masterpiece. But it was, for some reason, when they rebooted Transformers, they didn't call Stan Bush to do a tie-in single, uh, which is, I, I can't see why. Yeah. But Stan Bush himself, in 2007, recorded a new version of the song. It is hard to find this song online. It is, like, low-quality stuff. There was even a video, but I can't find the video anymore. But 
in the style of Linkin Park because oh that's God. what was big <laughs> in 2007. Well, yeah, that and also they Linkin Park's new divide was a tie-in yeah. for the transform uh, one of the Transformers. Yeah, the, the 2007 one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, Stan Bush got snubbed and then tried to record a version of his song in the style of Linkin Park. It's a work of art. Oh my God. It's remarkable. That's amazing. <laughs> I've got to hear this. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Here, I'll drop you a link to it because it is, it's, I don't think it's on Spotify. Like it is, I, I had a friend that showed me it and it blew my mind that such an artifact existed. Wow. <laughs> but like, it is interesting because this does kind of bring up the the decline of of this this kind of thing, like of the the movie tie-in yeah. song in the two thousands, because obviously, like like the eighties and nineties, it is such a huge thing, especially like the soundtrack album of like you know music like from and inspired by. Go back to the eighties. Obviously, there's like Kenny Loggins's entire career, which is basically yeah. just like tie-in songs for for so many movies then like the 90s obviously like you have you have the batman soundtracks even i like i gotta say like yeah. you know both schumacher batman movies have like pretty killer soundtracks like the smashing pumpkin songs on the batman and robin soundtrack i think are very good you have jimmy page collaborating with puff daddy to do a song the godzilla, for godzilla song. that samples cashmere which is insane yeah, that's a lot of a lot of words put real close together in a sense. Exactly. Uh, Puff Daddy featuring Jimmy Page. I, I've got to say, if yep. you have not seen the video of them performing this song on SNL with a full orchestra, it is the height of like late '90s maximalism, like just stupid yep. excess. In general, like we keep mentioning videos in general, the video portion is such a huge part of these because the videos are also like the actual music video for that is like, if I remember correctly, like them playing in a house that's falling apart as Godzilla is peeking in the window. Like the the music video tie-ins <laughs> for these things are insane. No, it's even crazier than that. It's I've watched this so many times. <laughs> Puff Daddy is, he's not in a house. He's in like a high-rise penthouse apartment and Godzilla is attacking New York and starts smashing up the building. And then he he runs away from Godzilla, gets into the elevator. The elevator shoots straight up through the roof of the building. He, it like, <laughs> lets him out. He flies through the air as doves fly around him. And then he lands in Times Square wearing a white suit on a stage with an orchestra to finish performing the song and then just does a stare down with Godzilla. Because this was the <laughs> 90s when music videos cost <laughs> millions of dollars and in some ways the world was a better place. <laughs> yeah, that one is is so bizarre to me. But yeah, you were saying, sorry, I was right in the middle of your point there. You were saying... And then then you've got, like, obviously in, in 2000, you have, like, the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, which was a huge thing. You know, you've got... Lose Yourself. Metallica. You've got Limp Bizkit read, like, covering the Mission Impossible theme song. That soundtrack was huge. And then and one of the last really big ones I remember is 2001 with Moulin Rouge. They had the cover of Lady Marmalade featuring like four, like four or yeah. five, like huge pop stars of the time. Yeah. And then you have this kind of steady decline. And it's like, it's funny, like you can look at, you can chart this with the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy where like 
Ooh. first movie has Hero by Chad Kroger. A huge hit. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that song was great. I'll say it. You know what? Hero was a great song. I mean, you know, and they say that a That's hero could save That's an opinion you can have. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I'm a music theorist. I can run the numbers. It's a great song. <laughs> it's, it's a fact. The science checks out. And then Spider-Man 2 obviously has Vindicated by Dashboard Confessional, leaning further into just, like, you know, the popularity of, like, emo, like, in that era. And then you skip yeah. ahead to 2007. I don't remember Spider-Man 3, despite being the biggest movie of 2007, having any, like, pop tie-in song or any, like, connected soundtrack beyond just, like, the orchestral yeah. score. I wonder... Because this is not not specifically tied to Spider-Man, but I do wonder, because they were sort of contemporaneous, how much that is tied in with the decline of the album. I think it is very much a thing of like, you know, you got music piracy coming in and, and making like suddenly album sales decline. MTV becomes less important as like a promotional tool for the record industry. Yeah. Another aspect of that is that that's also when you have the rise of like MTV and other similar channels starting to create content that's not music video content and realizing yes. like like that's that's around the time you've got, you know, like reality TV is really booming and a lot of these channels are realizing, oh, it's actually you don't need to secure rights to play this stuff. It's actually very cheap to do this stuff and like You've got the a lot more TV shifting away from just like straight up watching music videos. So I think that also contributes because so much of this, like so many of these tie-ins are, like we were saying, like in the golden age of MTV are so specifically music yeah. video tie-ins, right? Right. And that's when they just stopped yeah, spending that kind of money on music videos. It, they weren't like, they didn't yeah. have the spectacle that, that they used to. Yeah, and, and obviously, like when you look at like tie-in songs, like you know, like Wild Wild West, like Kiss from a Rose, even it's all about the spectacle. It's all very clearly like yeah, because again, you talk about something like Can't Stop the Feeling or Happy, and like because you don't encounter them as videos from with like the iconography of the movies, you don't have that association. And I I will say. The music video for Can't Stop the Feeling is directed by Mark Romanek, as in, like, one of the great <laughs> music video directors of all time, who did, like, you know, Closer That's by wild. Nine Inch Nails yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. That said, like, the video for Can't Stop the Feeling is fine. You know, it's well shot, but it is not, you know, it's not one of his classics, I'd say. <laughs> Hot take. I think another thing that you've got happening in film around this time, too, is like in the mid to late 2000s yep. is the rise of the gritty reboot and like gritty reboots. It, it's suddenly this era where everyone culturally everything's grim, dark, everything's, you know, super serious and having a big, you know, over the top spectacle tie in single to something that's trying to be, you know, grounded and gritty and realistic, just it just doesn't really jive in the same way as you can when you're doing it to like a Joel Schumacher movie. You're totally right. And there's there's one thing I would love to mention because Noah, you're totally right. Like it seems bizarre to imagine like a big like pop tie-in song for like the Dark Knight. Christopher Nolan's Batman, yeah. yeah. Which is why I was so shocked and kind of delighted when Tenet had a pop tie-in single. 
Have you guys heard it? <laughs> Did it? What? Yes. What was the By song? Travis Scott. Okay. It's, it's called The Plan, and it's good. That was the first Nolan movie where the score was not done by Hans Zimmer. It was done by Ludwig Göransson. Yeah. And who yeah. obviously has a whole history of like producing hip hop music. And apparently he he yeah. just went to Nolan and was like, I think we should have like a song at the end of the movie, and I think we should get Travis Scott. And I'm also gonna sample his vocals and use them in the score. And so it's 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 wild because then Tenet ends, the song begins, and the song uses like the bass loop to the car chase that happens earlier in the movie, but then builds like a hip hop song out of it. Huh. That's super cool. That's so cool. Ludwig Jorensen's a really, really interesting figure and composer. Um, he, he produced most of, uh, Awaken My Love, uh, like Gambino's album, a lot of stuff. Um, but anyways, that's complete tangent, but, but, Props to Ludwig Jorensen for trying to bring this back. It's actually not necessarily because he also was the composer on Black Panther, which is the only Marvel movie to really go in and do a full tie-in soundtrack. That tie-in album was huge and it was good. Yeah. That album was a serious cultural event in a way that I don't think, I don't think any tie-in has been in a long time. Like you look at like, it is basically all of the biggest names in hip hop at the time, except like Kanye were on that, right? Right. Like it had like it had like Kendrick, Vince Staples, Two Chains. Like it's absolutely, absolutely incredible. And it was a really that that was such a cool such a cool thing because that got like critical acclaim. People had it as their album of the year. Like it was a really, really abnormal, especially for that time. Yeah. And that kind of loops around to something I was going to mention earlier when we were talking about sort of how across the 2000s, you started to see this decline of this sort of tie-in single. And I think, you know, if you look back a little bit further, like what movies were getting that in the 80s and 90s, it was like big, over-the-top, goofy action type movies. And across the 2000s, that mostly just became the MCU. And yeah, like, as we all know, the MCU wasn't focusing as much on their scores as maybe some people would have liked. And so it sort of had this big property that was dominating the space that this sort of tie-in single was coming out of that wasn't really as interested in doing that sort of musical focus. I think it's interesting, though, because I think one of the most successful Marvel movies doesn't have an original tie-in, but, like, Spirit in the Sky, or wait, no, that's not, yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, the in, from Guardians of the Galaxy, Norm Greenbaum, yeah. like, that essentially for an entire generation of people like like that song i think that song probably re-entered the uh charts and like like the whole like awesome mix with guardians of the galaxy is really interesting as a again it's not the same as these tie-ins but also it is a lot closer to them yeah this is definitely worth mentioning because like the Guardian soundtracks kind of have the same sort of impact as, like, you know, like, the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack in the early 90s. 
Yep. Or the Shrek soundtrack in the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but hey, like, now. you know, like it's a mixtape essentially of existing stuff, but yeah. also especially for like younger audiences, this is their introduction to so much of this music. Yeah. Like the Guardian soundtracks are like some of the highest selling soundtracks and of, you know, the past decade, like definitely. And like I can recall a few years ago just like being in like a pub in a small town in Ireland and realizing that, oh, they just put on the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. Like that's every song that's been playing for the past hour. And yeah. it's just it's just <laughs> one of those things. It's like it's a good it's like a good album. Like like Yes, yeah, good collection of Yeah, it, I mean it's kind of like a like a, a greatest hits kind of thing. But it's like it's definitely relevant because in terms of pop music connected to like popular movies that is like one of the most significant examples we've had like in this century yeah and that reminds me of some of the the some of the jukebox stuff we were talking about earlier and also a conversation that you and i had like years ago patrick about the greatest movie ever made cats 2019 <laughs> um <laughs> and how like they just added beautiful ghosts a song that was not in the original movie uh, musical and we were talking about it, and if I recall correctly, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my recollection was that you were saying that this is basically a thing that they do when they adapt musicals and when they adapt, like, when they do jukebox musicals, have, like, one original song so that they qualify for an Oscar for Best Original Music. Exactly. So, yeah, it's a thing. It's like, if you look at so many musicals, like, like musical movies of the past, I don't know, yeah. 15, 20 years that are adapted from you know, like, like a stage musical. Like, yeah, existing material. Yeah, they add one new one, basically, because, like, yep. it, it's the weird thing where, yeah, in the 21st century, musical movies, despite originally being, like, one of the most populist genres there was, like, th like those were huge blockbusters before, and then I think pretty much starting with Chicago in 2002, musicals basically just became, like, Oscar bait. It's like, okay, yeah. you know, we'll yeah. do, like, one or two a year. They'll be adapted from, like, a, a famous Broadway show. They'll come out in December. You know, they'll they'll just be aimed directly at, like, awards voters and be, like, prestigious, classy movies, not just, you know, big, popular yeah. uh, entertainment. And, uh, look, if you want to win Oscars, you know, just add an extra song, especially in this time when the big pop tie-in singles have kind of declined, and it's an easy way to, if nothing else, just, like, squeeze in an extra nomination. Yeah, just get in the door. Yeah. yeah. No, and it's it's, I mean, it's not the same as, like, a tie-in single, but because, again, there's a lot of music surrounding it already. But, like, when I think of Beautiful Ghosts, it's indelibly attached to Cats 2019, the greatest movie ever made. So... <laughs> and do you think about Beautiful Ghosts a lot? I, I do, yeah. Quite frequently, yes. <laughs> Every day, every morning, wake up, think about beautiful ghosts, yeah. then go about the rest of your morning routine. Yeah, no, at least I have beautiful ghosts. <laughs> Speaking of best original song tie-ins, Into the West is an interesting example of the tie-in. The Lord of the Rings Lord one? of the Rings Return of the Kings. Yeah. It did a thing that a lot of these things in the heyday did a lot more, where like, the melody of the song is taken from the score. But the other cool thing about Into the West is the lyrics of the song are adapted from 
like lyrics in the books, you know, like Tolkien wrote. If you, I don't know if you've yeah. read the Lord of the Rings songs, but Rings books, but every three pages, there's a five page song. <laughs> and like, it's a great ratio. This is adapted from one of those. Yeah. yeah. I always find the Lord of the Rings ones always hit me in a, in a weird place because there's the Into the West was the Annie Lennox one. I think there was an Enya one too. Yeah. May it be from Fellowship. Yeah. If we're going to talk about like Lord of the Rings, this is sort of exists in a weird place for me because I don't think it was ever released as a single to the best of my knowledge. But do y'all remember Pippin's song? Oh, from Return of the King. Home is behind. Oh, oh like the, the oh, world yeah. ahead. That one. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I don't know that that one like really stuck with me in a way that like a lot of these tie in singles don't, even though it, it was never really a tie in single, but it sort of occupies that place in my mind. And I can like still vi visualize the scene that it was a part of, you know? I think the thing with that, I mean, there's a couple songs because the, the Green Dragon drinking song is also yeah. fantastic. But I think the thing with those, why I think that is way better than the tie-in songs is that like Lord of the Rings is kind of, things started to decline after that. Because I feel like, like for me, Howard Shore's score is so beautiful. Yeah. Like the movie is so well done that it feels weird and jarring to have this new agey song tacked onto the end because everyone liked new age music at the time. And that it feels very like, it feels like there is an aesthetic dissonance between yeah. that and the aesthetic of the movie. And I think that's where a lot of the, I think a lot of the more successful ones, like the aesthetics of the song yeah, match play the... into the movie and not just in like a way of, oh, we sampled this melody that was the main theme or yeah. whatever, but it's just the the feeling of the song. This is the Will Smith ones. Like Will Smith songs feel like funny, the, the musical equivalent of funny, lighthearted action comedies, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so, like say, say what you want about the Hobbit movies, but Misty Mountains is a banger. Yes, absolutely. Like, yeah. That song rules. And it, again, it perfectly fits the vibe of a Lord of the Rings story, which, you know, The Hobbit was trying to be a Lord of the Rings story, even though the source material. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it's that sort of thing. Like, because you needed folk music and Misty yeah. Mountains was folk music that understood what it was doing. And it felt, it had that like somber and somber quality yeah. to it. And like, this brings up another thing that you were mentioning earlier, Noah, which is like, lose yourself. Where yes. I think we've talked a lot about how these tend to go to these big, goofy action things. And that's not really what 8 Mile was. And no. But Lose Yourself still worked as a tie-in because it wasn't trying to be Wild Wild West. It wasn't trying to be Kiss from a Rose. It was trying to be the sort of song that would come out of the sort of community that 8 Mile was about, which because it literally did. It was by Eminem. In general, 8 Mile is so interesting. Just the, like... Eminem playing not Eminem, who is actually Eminem, singing a song, yeah. ending on a song by Eminem that is not performed by B-Rabbit the character, but is performed by Eminem the person about B-Rabbit the character, who is essentially Eminem the person. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of layers. It's really wild. And what that reminds me of is the fact that, like, 8 Mile is basically, it's just Purple Rain. <laughs> hip-hop purple rain it is i mean it's basically the same thing because in purple rain prince does not play 
prince. He plays the kid, prince. but he's ba- it's basically the prince origin story. He's at the same yeah. club yeah. that that like prince came up in, and it's the thing. And like, I mean, that's a, that's a really wild example because the thing is. Purple Rain, like genuinely like one of the, my maybe three favorite albums of all time, is just the soundtrack to the movie. It was a this like perfect synergy of like a full album that was like, you know, the entirety of the album is in the movie. It was like a couple songs play over montages, but he performs the majority of them throughout the film. And so, yeah. you know, that's like it's the perfect combo where I don't know the timeline. Which one came first? I mean, like, no, they came out at the same time. It is... Same time, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it, yeah. It, it is, like, that's the thing. It's, like... The, the, it Okay, they were made together. All the songs okay. on Purple Rain, like, like that album, it's just the soundtrack to the movie. And it's kind okay. of, like, yeah. it's not... Even though, you know, you don't have quite the same, like, real-life thing. It's, it's not exactly the same, but it, it's not dissimilar from, like, the soundtrack to the recent version of A Star Is Born. Yeah. Where, yeah. like, obviously, like, you know, shallow, like, massive pop hit, like, you know, like, wins an Oscar and all of that. And that is this, like, whole album that was, like, a big success. That is all, it's a movie that's, like, it's not a traditional musical. These are all, like, diegetic songs performed by characters who are musicians. But it was a movie that created yeah. songs that became big hits. Yeah. I was wondering, because I was sort of thinking, and this this is sort of, I guess the opposite but i was thinking sort of like yellow submarine oh yeah where instead yeah. of being like a tie-in single to a movie it was a tie-in movie to a bunch of their singles right yeah i mean the beatles did that a couple times because that's what the beatles did that with like a hard day's night too but that's again i mean early beatles stuff is interesting because it's very transitional from like in those days they're not that far from the kind of like traditional pop singer model that you know was pioneered by Bing Crosby and then continued by or or, like um even like Elvis like Elvis did like Jailhouse Rock and stuff like that is there a new fake Elvis song original tie-in to the Elvis movie that's coming out now (laughs) oh oh, have you wait have you guys seen Elvis have not. No. I have not yet. Elvis is should I wild? Uh, yeah. Y- yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, Noah, especially you, you know, with music history and all of that yeah. being your thing, you are required to see the movie. <laughs> it's literally a tax write off if I go see it. Oh yeah, <laughs> it is extremely interesting. As someone who is Baz Luhrmann, right? It's oh, it's Baz Luhrmann, and uh, he is yeah. uh, not showing any restraint in this movie. As opposed to usual when Baz Luhrmann shows tons of restraint. <laughs> the movie feels like a mountain of cocaine. Uh, it is like, it's the first music biopic where like its main visual reference is the Wachowski Speed Racer. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. It is in many ways, basically, it's doing the walk hard thing of like, I get there are just scenes that are just from walk hard in this, but also just like <laughs> yep. the presentation is so bonkers that it's like, it's worth seeing. And but sadly, cool. no original fake Elvis song <laughs> over the end Damn. credits. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a fake Elvis song. What it, yeah. what it actually would have been is it would have been like some hot young rapper doing a song that samples an Elvis. Oh, wait, isn't I mean, there? There is. They do have that, don't they? Do they? What it would have been was just be a cover, a white person covering a blues song if they wanted to do a fake Elvis song. <laughs> but, but isn't there, I thought I heard a song 
that sampled Doja Cat. Doja Cat did a song that sampled, it sampled Big Mama Thornton's original Hound Dog, not Elvis's Hound <laughs> Dog, Vegas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> a thing that Elvis does is it does have a lot of, like, current music in the movie, like, uh, in the soundtrack, are, like, mashed up with songs of, of the period. Like he did with Great Gatsby. Yes, it's the same kind of thing. And, like, in Elvis, it's it's done, and I think actually pretty effectively, he's trying to, to communicate the idea of, like, how Elvis, like, felt to people at the time. Yeah. He did that, like, like his Great Gatsby movie, there's a lot of things about his Great Gatsby movie that are not really great namingly i think it was very the point of the great gatsby but the parties you know using the using the electro swing music and like having like jay-z and stuff like that like it is very comparable to like what hot jazz would have sounded like to you know like a duke ellington needle drop wouldn't have hit the same way yeah. as a jay-z needle drop to you know the modern audience and that so i think that's something that's something I'm really glad to hear that he does that because I have very mixed feelings about the Great Gatsby movie, but that soundtrack is phenomenal. It is. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on Elvis because it is, a, again, as someone who I did a whole long video about music biopics, I, I was so burnt out on them <laughs> and I actually had a pretty good time with this. But it also reminded That's me awesome. of the fact that Rocket Man which came out, I think, in 2019. Rocket Man has is one of those one of the music biopics where the subject of the movie is still alive and is a producer on the film. Wrote an original song for the movie <laughs> yep. and won an Oscar. <laughs> yep. I actually think Rocket Man is deeply underrated as a film. I think it's really good. I think it's pretty good. Like, especially like in terms of like, these modern, like like the the modern era, yeah. like. Yeah, I really, really don't like Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I agree. Rocket Man is is like infinitely superior and makes way more interesting choices, and Elvis also. I mean, in my mind, Rocket Man to me always kind of feels like 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 I categorize it in the same neighborhood as um like Across the Universe or something like that, right? Like, yeah. it feels a lot more like that than it does like a typical rock biopic. I mean, just the choice to do it as a musical like have the characters actually yeah. like burst into song like so like they're singing the songs not just in like the regular on stage performances yeah. was yeah. a really good choice yeah i agree this is a, a complete change of topic back to the uh original topic but i think i think we would be doing the world a disservice if we had the a conversation about movie tie-in songs and didn't mention bond songs because oh, yes, Bond thank you. Songs, uh, I thought you were going to say something different. I'll get to that later. Continue. <laughs> Bond songs are interesting because they are something that is kind of yeah. like is a legacy of the older kind of style of movie tie and pop songs, but became so iconic that they've become kind of their own thing where they are movie tie and pop songs like any of these, but Bond songs are also kind of their own unique sort of beast, right? Like there's a cultural weight and gravita where it's like, you know, whoever the biggest artist in the world at the time is, you know, it's, it's yeah. always a big thing. Who's doing it, you know? And 
Bond songs are really interesting because they all do kind of reflect musical trends of their time, but there's also a shared aesthetic. Some waver yep. a little more or a little less from it, but there's still a shared Bond song aesthetic. Yeah, there's, there's always that line cliche. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't throw music theory terms around. If you think of the classic, like that Bond sing with like the rising and falling half step, that's a line cliche. Okay. Yes, that's why that's that's what that's called. Bond songs are, are interesting because, yeah, like obviously the franchise started in the 60s and it just sort of like, it, it, you know, part of the, the formula for literally every Bond movie, although except Dr. No doesn't entirely do it. Dr. No opens up with this this weird like three blind mice song that is not what yeah. you normally think of <laughs> as like a Bond song. But like the formula of every Bond movie, it's there's the cold open. And then, like, Bond is on a mission, and then it goes into a title sequence where a major artist of the time sings a song that often, but not always, has the same title as the movie. And it's interesting, because, like, obviously, like, Noah, as you were saying, you know, sometimes they, like, sometimes they stray a little bit from, like, what is thought of as, like, the sound of a Bond song. Like, some of the ones, like, in the, in the 80s did, like, AHA and Duran Duran and stuff like that. The yeah. Madonna one. Yeah. Yeah. The Jack White and Alicia Keys one is a little different as well. But even, but Jack White's guitar, I mean, it's more distorted, but that sound is pure Bond. Well, yeah. well, there's the thing. It's like when they rebooted the series with the Daniel Craig era, you've got the Chris Cornell one, which sounded pretty different than traditional Bond songs. It's like, okay, it's like a straight ahead, just rock song. Like there's no like sweeping strings. Although that they did, I miss when David Arnold was like composing the Bond movies and like helping like write the songs. And then you had the Jack White, Alicia Keys one for Quantum of Solace. And then after that, I think when people didn't like Quantum of Solace as much, they went, they suddenly decided, this is like a very classy thing that's going to be now yeah. where yeah. we're going to get an Oscar winning director to make the next Bond movie, and we're gonna do, like, and all the songs now will be kind of throwback, like, like Shirley Bassey-esque ones, where it's, yeah. like, it's like, okay, so we'll get Adele to do basically the most, like, quintessential Bond song oh, yeah. you could 100%. possibly imagine. Yeah, <laughs> She did her research yeah. on that one. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. It's like, if you ask anyone, <laughs> what does a Bond song sound like? Skyfall is basically it. <laughs> yep. That kind of continued with, like, the, the Sam Smith one and then the Billie Eilish one. Billie Eilish, yeah. Like, those are trying to sound like what we all think of as a Bond song. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, like, in general, James Bond has done this thing, and the music is a reflection of it, where it's like, at the time, it was just schlock, and the music was just kind of schlock you know but because it developed this cultural weight now like you said like it's kind of treated as yeah. this like high culture thing when it's like it's like because we've got the distance these don't like the you know 60s traditional pop stuff it sounds like classy to our ears but in the day like that's just that's just what pop music sounded like then right like right. that yeah. was just top 40 radio pop so what you're saying is Top 40 Radio Pop used to be classier. That's Noah's hot take. <laughs> we had Tom Jones singing about a thunderball, and the world was a better place. <laughs> Honestly, we could have done this whole episode about Bond themes, Bond because Bond. they're yeah. so interesting. Because, like, the 90s era is an, like, a, you know, with, like, the Pierce Brosnan era is an interesting period with that, because, like, 
for instance, like uh, like Goldeneye by Tina Turner, written by Bono and The Edge, is like who and which is wild. That was the same year that you two did the main song for Batman Forever, so they were all over movie soundtracks that year. Hey, these are the guys that wrote a Spider-Man mu- musical, so that shouldn't surprise <laughs> us. It's true, and lest we forget, in 1996, the other two members of U2 did uh, a remix of the Mission Impossible theme for the first Mission Impossible movie. So, so yeah, there you go. But, um, <laughs> and, but uh, about uh, Goldeneye, um, that is a very classic Bond song, and then. Are you guys familiar with the the truly bizarre history of the Tomorrow Never Dies song? I am not. No. Basically, they commissioned, I believe, at least four different Tomorrow Never Dies songs by different artists. Like, Sheryl Crow does the one that's in the movie, but there was one by by Katie Lang that was rejected at the last minute that plays over the end credits. Pulp? the great Britpop band did yeah. a song yep. for Tomorrow Never Dies. That is wild. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, similarly wild when they rejected the Radiohead song for Spectre. <laughs> that was this era. And then one of my hot takes is one of my absolute favorite, like top three Bond songs is The World Is Not Enough by Garbage, which is one where David Arnold, the composer, co-wrote the song. It very much sounds like a Bond song. You've got the big sweeping strings, like the soaring chorus. But also it does have a bit of the, like, some, like, kind of, like, industrial percussion in there that is yeah. very 1998. Yeah. Still still by garbage. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of the thing. It's like, you know, you, you'd have, like, we're trying to sound like Bond songs, but also, like, we will have some, like, currently trendy stylistic yeah. elements there. Yeah, trying to hold on to sort of the identity without being beholden to the traditions. Right. Yeah. Man, I I just want to do a video about Bond songs now. Please do. Please do. I, I would watch it. There's a great video about Bond songs by uh, Daniel... Daniel Craig? Yes, absolutely. What's his <laughs> name? One sec, let me look this up. He's on Nebula. Yeah, Listening In is the channel's name. Uh, Barney is the, the creator, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Corey, you were going to mention something else when I said I felt like yes. I'd be remiss if we didn't mention. Yes, and then no, I well, mention. I would be doing a great <laughs> disservice to all of our listeners if we talked about movie tie-in songs and didn't mention ninja rap. <laughs> oh. I thought you were going somewhere totally different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go ninja, oh. go ninja, go. <laughs> Yeah, But yeah, I, I don't know that I have a lot to say about Ninja Rap, but for those of you who don't know, it was one of the Ninja Turtle movies. Uh, uh, Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. There you go. And there's just a scene where they get chased into a nightclub, <laughs> and uh, Vanilla Ice is performing at the club, and he just, I guess in the story of the movie, improvises... This entire rap set to, there's a whole dance sequence to it of him just rapping about the Ninja Turtles. It's interesting. Look, I'm just going to say, Vanilla Ice walked so Will Smith could run. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, more complex than that, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because I think not actually a film tie-in, 
but a show tie-in that was really successful last year that I think operates in a lot of the same yeah. ways as these film tie-ins was Imagine Dragon's Enemy. Yes. Which is an absolute bop, but like it operates like these film tie-ins did, right? Where it's an original song commissioned for the thing. There was a tie-in music video with yeah. Imagine Dragons, like animated in the style of the show and the lyrics are not like explicitly about the show but thematically are very coherent with the show and it was a it was a huge success it was a great song like it sold me on imagine dragons which is really a pretty impressive feat it operates in the same space and it's really interesting because it yeah. was like the opening title song which is also kind of its own thing in tv right this is for arcane right for arcane yeah yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. In something like, you know, Kiss from a Rose or My Heart Will Go On or whatever, they, they feature in, like, one scene when you watch this, like, two-hour-long yeah. movie. But, like, Enemy, that was the first thing you saw every episode. Yeah. And so if, if you yeah. watch through all of Arcane, it, that connection really gets drilled into your head in a way that is sort of inescapable. And like, so I hear it on the radio and it reminds me of things like that final scene that I'm not going to talk about in case anyone hasn't seen it. Watch Arcane. It is upsetting really how good. good a show based on League of Legends is. I have not like, seen it, but I keep hearing this. Like, it's like, when I heard about the show, I was so ready to write it off. I've never played League of Legends. I don't care. And so many smart neither. people I th not. that I trust have, like, vouched for the show that I'm like, yeah. God, do I, do I have to watch this? It's so good. It shouldn't be good. It's a show based on League of Legends, but, like... And also... Enemy shouldn't be good. It's the theme song by Imagine Dragons for a show based on League of Legends. Yeah, everything here sounds so unappealing on paper. Yeah, everything about Ar yeah. Arcane sounds bad, but it's so good. It feels like such a weird thing to say about a show based on League of Legends, but it was devastating at times. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think a show has affected me that much in a long time. And I've watched things that are just supposed to be so much better, but... Wow. It was also animated really well, had an yeah. interesting animation style, like yeah. an interesting, unique style of animation. Like, Yeah, it took me some time to get used to, but once I did, it really worked. I mean, this is a whole other conversation that is yeah. not at all related to music. But in, in my mind, it's one of, we're starting to now see a wave of animation style that's kind of post into the Spider-Verse animation. And I yeah. think this fits well into that, like continuing... Not the same look, but the same kind of... Cartoonish 3D, sort of 3D, but comic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and leaning into stylization, like not yeah. being afraid to use like beautiful animated text, stuff like that. Or like, yeah, yeah, really, Patrick, I, I think you would love this show. Okay, I, well, I, I'm sold. Speaking of shows that I think Patrick would love... I haven't bullied you about watching The Prisoner in a long time, <laughs> but you should also watch The Prisoner. <laughs> oh, no, I thought I'd escaped. I will. I, will. <laughs> I, I mean, that was when I always intended uh, to get to at some point, and I, I promise I will. Arcane was one that I was skeptical about, but you two have sold yeah. me right here. And I got to say, if nothing else, because I have not heard this Imagine Dragons song, and as someone who is not an Imagine Dragons fan, but is kind of weirdly fascinated yeah. by this band because it yeah. seem it seems like in a lot of ways they exist to create songs to be used in movie trailers. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. Over at at the site Screen Crush, like every like a uh, six to twelve months, I believe it's Matt Singer who updates his article 
about every instance of an Imagine Dragons song being used in the movie <laughs> trailer, and it's so wild. And look, here's the thing. Yep. Well, I think genuinely one of the greatest trailers that has ever been made is the Mission Impossible Fallout trailer. There's there's a song in that trailer I was like, damn, this song kind of rules. Who's it by? And I Googled it and I was like, no f- way. This, this can't be Imagine Dragons. It can't be. It's, it's a song that somehow resembles the Mission Impossible theme so much, but is not made for it at all, that, all, that existed for years. So it's wild. Yep. Oh, this reminds me. Can I bring up what I think is one of the most interesting recent examples of the movie tie-in pop song. Absolutely. No, absolutely not. What? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna have to bring the hammer down Corey here. Corey and I are gonna fight this out now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is how Ghost Notes ends. Go yeah. on. You're our Yoko Ono. <laughs> no! <laughs> I was being a nice guest. Have you guys seen Top Gun Maverick? Yes. I have not yet. Okay. Fun fact, I got to see Top Gun Maverick as an early preview for some reason. Whoa. I forget what those are called, but before it came out, whatever those are, I'm blanking on the word. Oh, it was a test screening. Uh, no, no, it was, it was like a week before. Oh, or early, okay. Yeah. I, I also saw yeah. it a week before. A friend who's a critic nice. brought me as a, as a plus one. I've seen yeah. this movie three times. It's, it's a really good movie. It's really good. I have some thoughts, but not for here. I don't have anything planned, but I, it's a movie that I could definitely do a video on at some point. It's very interesting, especially its relationship with the original movie and as a sort of yeah. like lega sequel, like a, you know, like a, like a, a sequel coming yeah. like 36 years later. But obviously the original Top Gun is one of the quintessential movies, like 80s movies with big pop tie-in songs. It has yeah. several. It opens with Danger yep. Zone by Kenny Loggins <laughs> that I believe was written by Giorgio Moroder. Yeah, 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 it absolutely was. The man, the myth, the legend. And they used it again in the new one, too. They do. It also opens with Danger Zone. But and obviously, yep. the original, it has, you know, Take My Breath Away by Berlin, written and produced by, by Maroder, <laughs> as, like, the love theme for it. It's got another Kenny Loggins song. Like, was it playing with the boys over the, the volleyball scene? It's like... You know, that was like, that movie is kind of the ultimate 80s synergy of like, we got the soundtrack, we got like, the, like the, the big soundtrack and the pop songs that are all over the radio, we got our big music video, it's like, it's Reagan's America, we're making so much money, yeah. the military, like all <laughs> of that. And I was really yeah. curious about, like, with the new one, I was like, okay, like, what are they going to do for the music? Because, you know, they, they obviously like you know, want to like please fans the original and the, the music is such a big part of it. And the in, in the opening title sequence, I have not seen such a wild music by credit in years. Corey, do you remember yeah. what the music credit is? I mean, it's, it's Lady Gaga. I don't remember. Oh, no, no, it is. Okay. The, the, what it says on screen is music by Harold Faltermeyer, the composer of the original movie, Lady Gaga, Hans Zimmer. Like, <laughs> the three of them on one line. It's so yeah. wild. And so what happens is, obviously, they use a lot of the original, like, themes, and I think just strip the original recordings by Harold Faltermeyer from the original movie. Then Hans Zimmer does, like, new stuff, even kind of weaves Danger Zone a couple times, like, into the actual, like, orchestral score. But then Lady Gaga did a big pop tie-in single called Hold My Hand that plays at the very end of the movie, like over the final scene. 
But what they did is they used the melody of the song as like like the instrumental love theme for the movie. And and they were able yeah. to kind of pull off in a more modern way the really bonkers thing they do in the original Top Gun, where like the love theme in the original Top Gun is Take My Breath Away. And we all know the like classic synth opening to Take My Breath Away. Yeah. I don't need to sing it here because I can't do it justice. Yamaha DX7. There, there you go. Thank you, Noah. And so... Change the world. In the original Top Gun... Every scene where Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis are like together, they you hear the bum 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 bum. Like you you hear the opening of the yeah. song, but it never plays in full. They play it four times, and then finally, when the, when they kiss for the first time, then the vocals come in and they play the full song. It's like the payoff, and they do kind of the same yeah. thing in Top Gun Maverick, where multiple times in scenes with Cruise and Jennifer Connelly. You can hear, especially if you know the song already. Well, actually, once you hear the Lady Gaga song playing on a radio in the background of a scene, then they use the melody of it in the score during the scenes with the two of them together. And then at the very end of the movie, when it has like its big minor spoilers in this sort of like, you know, romantic epilogue to the film, then Lady Gaga's vocals like come in like hard like with the percussion and you get like the big payoff with like the song in full and i'm just like man you just don't hear it like this anymore <laughs> like uh i missed yeah. this kind of thing yeah uh, like that is something that yeah in a lot of the 80s stuff because that's also like in the transformers movie like stan bush's the touch is like used as a theme throughout and then there's a big kind of like moment like the big heroic moment then the song plays the the teasing and building up of the song and then dropping the big needle drop yeah it's pretty good i got to say top gun i think top gun is kind of the like yeah yeah the epitome peak of like having two giant tie-in singles both with tie-in videos is wild it really is I also, I know, here's the thing about this episode. We could technically do this forever. There are a million fun yes. examples yeah. to talk about. It could just be like, <laughs> oh, remember this one? Remember this one? I, I, it, it just occurred to me that, especially with all our talk about, like, Will Smith and stuff like that, we have done a huge, dis we, we would be doing a huge disservice if we did not mention one more, maybe one of the great precursors to Will Smith. I think I know what you're going to say. And it's and, and I know we were just talking about Kenny Loggins. It's not Footloose. It's Ghostbusters. Yeah, absolutely. Which one? Sorry, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Ghost. Okay, yes. By yes. Ray Parker yes. Jr. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 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 One hundred percent. Which has a music video yeah. featuring the four Ghostbusters and Ray Parker Jr. dancing down the streets of New York together. That song has such. Like it's it's such a life of its own. Like it, it that song is its own cultural reference that people reference. Like yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, it it is. You, you're completely right. Like that is with all due respect to Vil Vanilla Ice, Ray Parker Jr. walked so Will Smith could run. Yes. Yep. I I don't even know what there is to say about Ghostbusters other than like that song is perfect, right? It, it is. Even if. Huey Lewis uh, sued him for like stealing a, like a, a melody or oh, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's yeah. a whole other topic. <laughs> exactly, and, and it's the classic like '80s thing 
of like these songs being used in the movie over a montage. It's like the same thing, yeah. you know, with like like Eye of the Tiger in Rocky Four and yep. uh, and that kind of thing. It's like, okay, we get the big original song and then it'll play over a montage, which is why there are so many more montages in like 80s movies than in <laughs> 70s movies. Something we were talking about, I think we should probably start to start to reel it in. I do know your your specialty, Patrick, is always being the longest episode of every podcast you appear on. And it's I true. think yeah, we're I'm pretty sure we're there. At yeah, we're point. verging yeah. into God. that. <laughs> yeah, I think we're about 10 minutes over where we last <laughs> yeah. our previous record in but, terms of recording time. We'll see what it gets edited down to. This will probably be 15 minutes long. Let's get yeah, there, it's all it. trash. It'll be 15 minutes. It'll just be cuts of us mentioning things and saying, go watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably, yeah, that, that's the essence of what we did. This sounds like we're making fun of Caleb. Caleb's great. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. No, we're making fun of ourselves. Shout out to Caleb. We're Caleb making fun makes of ourselves. These sound here. good. Yeah, no, the reason these sound like coherent conversations is Caleb. Anyway, go on. We were talking a little before we hit record about on this topic. I really want to shout out Demi Adejuibe, a comedian who does these videos on YouTube that are parodying usually Will Smith ones, but does other ones like end credit tie-ins. I remember when I first stumbled on these. I mean, Demi Adejuibe is a pretty... uh like pretty yeah. big comedian. He's if you don't know him for this, you might know him for the September guy. Yeah. Um, but I remember like following these rejected theme songs that he does. They're so funny and they like perfectly encapsulate. We were talking earlier about like he does one for like Green Book, which is amazing, or a childish Gambino one for Lando. He does one, the one for Ready Ready Player One is hilarious. I don't have much analysis on this. I just think it, that this is like it's delightful that someone is out here creating content yeah. about that. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and I will say to that, he had a, a big run of it four years ago, like around yeah. Oscar season, where he would just do it, he would like like film the end credits of a movie and it would like i'm looking at this on youtube now like like moonlight or arrival so like yeah like uh 2016 he'd just say like wow i can't believe will smith did the end credits rap song for arrival and then, and it's yeah. just a will smith <laughs> song about arrival it's like all like all of these things and um are like oh th there's one for one for get out the, yeah the get out one's fantastic yeah. They're so good, but, like, they're so funny. They're really, really good parodies of, like, the Will Smith style of, like, you know, lyrics about the movie. But watching these, like, they also made me nostalgic for, like, I know these are jokes, but I wish we actually got more of these for real. <laughs> I think broadly, especially the Will Smith era stuff, like, I think people take movies too seriously right now yeah um a lot of the time where it's like and and they can be taken seriously they are powerful incredible pieces of art but they're also just like entertainment they're fun stuff to watch and like i feel like there's like this like gravita that people want to have but it's like no give me a goofy tie-in that's fun it's stupid and i yeah. love it <laughs> yeah exactly come on guys just like Make a song that has the same name as the movie, and it's kind of about the movie, and then we can listen to it, <laughs> and it'll remind us of how we like the movie. Yeah. yeah exactly. It's not, it's not that hard. It's a pretty straightforward formula. I think that's as good a place as any to to reel it in, unless... It, are there any... any ah, movie pun. Ah, are there any huge <laughs> themes that we need to mention and tell people to go watch the insane video to? 
Uh, yeah, ninja rap again. <laughs> yeah, ninja rap is important. Actually, I, I will say, uh, Come With Me by Puff Daddy featuring Jimmy Page. Watch the music video and the SNL performance. Very, yeah. uh, very yeah. important. It's just such a surreal artifact that still kind of exists, but not in the beautiful, pure form that it once did. Yeah. And by beautiful, pure form, I mean completely cynical corporate cash yeah. grab overtly crass commercialism <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen uh bat dance by prince uh go watch that video especially if you want to see a video where i don't think the studio had any input into this because they probably would have told him <laughs> not to do that I don't. I don't yeah. think studios ever could tell Prince what to do. Yeah. No. Th there is actually earlier this year. I, I think it might have been The Ringer published an oral history of the Prince Batman soundtrack, and it is really oh, worth amazing. reading. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and oh. no. Uh, no one told Prince what to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm assuming people know where to find you, Patrick. But just in case, I heard you dropped a movie. Do you want to shout that out, or do you want to? Shout anything else out? I would love to. Look, I am always ready to plug my movie anywhere I can because I worked on it for a year and it was really hard to make. I'm also proud of it. I think it's good. I think you'll enjoy it. And I think we've got a couple of good needle drops in there and also some good original songs in the movie. Ooh. And if you're wondering, <laughs> did our brilliant composer Brian Metolius also use the melody of some of those songs throughout the the rest of the score yes he did it's connected to what we've been talking about i made a movie yeah. it's called night of the coconut and it is streaming exclusively on nebula where you can also watch the the videos i make where i talk about movies yeah speaking of streaming exclusively on nebula so is the next episode of this podcast oh yeah that's a good tie-in yeah yeah, I was going to say you can also exclusively stream the new song Goin' Coconuts by Will Smith. Oh, uh, actually, I, I will say. Yeah. We do have a joke in the movie involving Will Smith soundtracks that I'm really proud of. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this was very on theme then. Well, exactly, thanks so much yeah. for coming on, Patrick. It's always a joy to talk to you. Yeah, I hope you'll come back sometime. I would love to, guys. This was so much fun. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this was a blast. As always, you know where to find Corey and I, so avoid Probably those places but, at all you know, costs. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Bye.